Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. As we celebrate communion today, we're going to, to gain some reflection from uh, God's Word, specifically the book of Jude, um, verse 21. But before we get to the book of Jude, I want to just share a story with you guys. Um, something that happened in our family back in April of 2012. Uh, Kimberly and I were looking at 2012, and we thought we really wanted to take a family vacation that year, and the opportunity presented itself for us to take uh, our son Josh, who at the time was five years old, and to go to Disney World for a few days in April. And we were very, very excited about this. And you know, as a, as a parent, some of you have taken this trip with your family, um, you are faced with a dilemma. Do we tell the children early in advance, or do you surprise them with the trip? Uh, in our case, uh, for the health and safety of our son, we weren't sure his heart would be able to handle it. As well as for the sanity of uh, Kimberly and I, we weren't sure we'd be able to be asked how many times, how long until we go. We chose to keep this a secret. And so in the week leading up to the trip, we're packing bags in secret. On the morning of the trip, we load the bags into the car in secret. We sneak into his room in secret and we scoop him up and place him in his car seat where he wakes up and he says, where are we going? We say, we're going on a trip. He says, where are we going? We say, not going to tell you. It's a surprise. And we drive north on 35. Now, he's thinking, because we have family in Bartlesville, that we're probably going to grandma and grandpa's house. But we take a little different turn. We head out towards the airport. Where are we going? We're going this way. No answer. Uh, we, we pull into the airport. Where are we going? We're going to the airport? That's cool. I'm thinking, man, we could have saved a lot of money. We could just go to the airport, hang out. <laughs> They got a Sonic there and everything. So, you know, we pull in and no, we're going to the airport, we park the car, we get out, we go in, we check the luggage, um, and, and, and what he knows is that we're going to a plane. We're not just going to go to the airport, we're, gonna get, we're going to be able to get on a plane. The plane says it's going to Dallas. He goes, we're going to Dallas, sweet. We fly to Dallas, we're in another airport, but we don't stop there. And we go to the sign that says Orlando. Now, he's five years old, he has no idea what Orlando is. And so he just knows that we're on a plane to Orlando, and we get on the plane, and we, we fly to Orlando, and we land in Orlando. He says, where are we going? And, and I say, well, we're, we're just going on a trip. And so we're walking through the airport. He's like, great, we're in another airport. We're walking through the airport. He sees a Days Inn sign, an advertisement for a Days Inn hotel with a swimming pool, and it says, welcome to Florida. And he goes, are we in Florida? I said, yeah, we're in Florida. He goes, great, they have pools. I'm like, yeah, they have pools in Oklahoma too, but they're a lot better out here. And we're, we're there in Florida, but he still has no idea really where we're headed. And so we go through, we get at the rental car, and we, we pack up the rental car, and we, we take off uh, driving towards Disney World, which is about a 30-minute drive from the airport to Disney World. Now, at this point, we had scooped him up in the 4s, AMs. Um, we had, had been driving and flying and traveling all day. It was a long day for all of us, but he has no idea where we're going. At this point, he's getting a little irritated. Now, this great destination is just a car seat, and we are driving on a, a four-lane divided highway, uh, not his idea of an exciting destination. And we're, we're going along, and, and you know, here, here's the deal. I'll just pause the story for just a second. Just to, to tell you as parents, if you ever say, I'm going to take my kids to Disney World and we're going to surprise them, 
Think through the exit strategy. When are you going to tell them where you are? Because I hadn't thought that far ahead. And so there we are. We're driving down the road, and Josh starts crying. I want to go home. I want to go back and play with my toys. This is miserable. And then Kimberly is upset with me. She's looking at me. Mark, tell him. Pull off the side of the road. Tell him where we are. Please, just get it over with. Let this, this moment. And I'm like, no, you know, it's a super dad, and we got to get there. And Clark Griswold, we got to, we got to do this right. And so we're, 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 we're driving along, and um, I'm going to pause the story right there. We'll, we'll, we'll complete it here in just a little while. Um, but, but here's what I want us to do for a moment. I want us to sympathize with Josh. I want us to sympathize with that five-year-old in the backseat on the long drive, not knowing for sure where he's going. Waiting is hard, isn't it? Especially if you're not sure where you're going. You can relate to this if you've ever been between jobs. You've got one job. For whatever reason, that job is done, it's gone. You're hopefully pursuing future employment, but because you're not sure when that will start or how much it will pay or where it will be located, that period of time between jobs, it's hard to wait, isn't it? This is the time when you go to the doctor and the doctor says, you know, hey, we we see a little spot, we see a little shadow. We're going to need to do another test. We're going to need to, to get a little more results, and, and uh, it's going to be a week until we're back in, and it's four days after that until the tech gets the report back, and you're going to be able to see it. And in that period of time, uh, you're waiting, and it's difficult to wait, isn't it? You know, waiting in life, uh, we find ourselves like a five-year-old strapped into a car seat in the back, not knowing for sure where we're going, um, but just crying out. Get me out of here. Even if I have to go back, just get me out of this specific situation. Waiting is hard. And you know what? Waiting is hard um, and for all of us as Christians. Waiting is difficult for all of us as Christians. Because we are, are going someplace. If we know Christ, we know that there's a future for us, but either we've forgotten how great it will be or it's so much different than our experience now that we can't fully grasp or relate to it. And so God is taking us someplace, but meanwhile, we're, we're living out this life, waiting for that to develop and crying out from the back seat, oh God, how long? See, waiting is a part of the Christian life. Well, in the book of Jude, verse 21, we find that we are to be waiting in the Christian life, but not just waiting in general. Um, Jude gives us a very specific thing that we're to wait for. He gives us a a picture, an idea of where we're headed, because he tells us that we are to wait for the mercy of God that leads to eternal life. We're going to look at the last part of verse 21 this morning. In Jude. So if you've got a Bible, open up to, to Jude, book of Jude. If you, you don't know where it is, go all the way to Revelation and, and go back one page. Jude is a short little book, uh, the last letter in the New Testament before the book of Revelation. Uh, we're going to look at a couple of the verses there today. Now, before we, we look at uh, these verses in the book of Jude, though, I think it's helpful for us to get a little bit of a context about uh, what the book of Jude is about as a whole. 
Jude was a brother of Jesus. He was a half-brother of Jesus. Just like James, who wrote the book of James, he was a half-brother of Jesus. Now, can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your brother? Um, Yeah, I mean, it would be difficult potentially. It would also be amazing, right? Um, The stories that mom would tell at dinner time would really be something to listen to. I mean, Jude had grown up as the brother of Jesus. But here's the interesting thing about Jude. During Jesus' life and earthly ministry, Jude was not fully convinced that Jesus was the Son of God. Uh, we have this account in the, the Gospels where uh, Jesus' brothers come to him. They say, Jesus, you're getting a little carried away with all this talk that you're God. You need to, to, to slow down just a little bit. Maybe come back to Galilee. We'll you know, spend some time as a family, maybe get recentered on who we are and where we are, and let's just, you're getting a little ahead of yourself. Uh, he wasn't fully convinced in his life, but, but James and Jude, like so many others in the first century, had their whole perspective on Christ shifted and changed um, at the point of the resurrection. You see, when Jesus was rose from the dead, uh, suddenly all the claims that he made suddenly weren't, didn't sound as far-fetched. They sounded right on the money. Uh, they believed it. They embraced it, and they followed him, and Jude became a leader in the early church. And as Jude became a leader in the early church, he wrote a letter inspired by the Holy Spirit to some believers at that time, kind of instructing them on some matters uh, related to life. And specifically, the things that Jude writes to this group of believers about is is Jude is is writing to them and warning them about the dangers of false teachers. See, there were several people apparently in the first century who really enjoyed the celebrity status that Jesus had gained, and they enjoyed the popularity of Jesus. But rather than taking what Jesus said and did and teaching only that, there were some who wanted to take the popularity of Jesus and use it as a platform to teach their own desires and perversions. This is the false teaching that they were doing. They were departing from the way of God and teaching their own ideas, but doing it in Jesus' name. And Jude writes a letter to the church to basically say, hey, this is dangerous stuff. It is dangerous for people to teach things in Jesus' name that Jesus didn't teach. It's dangerous for people to do this because Jude looked around at the the lives of these false teachers. He said their lives are falling apart. Uh, There's a lack of integrity. People who are following them are ending up further away from God, not closer to God. These guys are dangerous, and you should steer clear of them. That's what the book of Jude is about, really. About 16, 17 verses in the book of Jude deal specifically with these false teachers. But after talking about these false teachers for a while, Jude concludes his letter by turning and giving some specific admonitions, some specific commands to the true believing community uh, that were living there uh, at that time. He gives them four things that he wants them to do um, as they live out their Christian faith, Um, four things that were just as relevant for them as they are for us today. And we see those in Jude verses 20 and 21. This is what Jude writes and says. He says, but you, beloved, he's, the beloved are, are the, the true believers. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. 
See, in that, those two verses, he gives them four things that they ought to uh, organize their lives around, four things that they ought to be doing as they live out their Christian lives. Uh, do you see what they are? There, there's, there's four different commands. The first one is that he wants them to build up in the most holy faith. This is the idea that they would know God's word, that they would know the teaching of the apostles, that they would study the teachings of Christ. They would look at the Old Testament. They would center their lives uh, and their belief systems around what the word of God actually says. Then he goes on and says, not only are they to build up around the holy faith, but they're also to pray in the Holy Spirit. It's the idea that not only are they to, to read and to study, but they're also to actually communicate with God and that God will make that possible in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. Then he continues, not, are they to, not only are they to build up and to pray, but they're also to keep themselves in the love of God. That phrase, keeping in the love of God, is uh, something that, that harkens our, our attention back to like John chapter 15 in, in the word abide. It's a similar word. Keeping or abiding in Christ is something that is done through obedience, Jesus says. I think this is a call to, to abide or to obey God in our lifestyle, keeping ourselves in the love of God. But the last of these admonitions or these commands is this one about waiting, he says that we are to wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And it's this last specific command that I want us to spend a little bit more time on this morning, waiting for mercy. Now, in order for us to really understand what it means to wait for mercy, we need to understand what mercy is. We need to have a, a good idea about what it was that, that he was calling them to wait for. Uh, the word mercy is a great Bible word. It's a word that is used in both the Old and the New Testament. And you know, the, the Old Testament was uh, written in Hebrew. Um, but by the time that Jesus was walking the earth in the first century, the time when Jude wrote, this Old Testament that was originally given in Hebrew has been translated into Greek. And in the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, there was a particular word um, in Hebrew that was translated into Greek as mercy. And that Hebrew word was the word hesed. Many times in our Old Testament, we'll see this word translated loving kindness. It's a very powerful word that talks about uh, the attitude of God towards his people. See, this, this idea of, of hesed or, or loving kindness that is translated in the New Testament as, as, as mercy is the idea that, that someone is so committed to another, someone is so committed to another that their, their emotions are moved in a compassionate and a loving way so that they will, will order their actions, they'll actually do something to alleviate suffering. That's this idea of mercy. Mercy is a committed action. I'm committed to you. I love you. Therefore, I'm going to act to alleviate suffering in your life. That is this idea of the loving kindness, the hesed, the mercy of God. And, and many times in the New Testament when this word mercy is used as a new word or a new idea, I really think it has its root in the Old Testament idea of the loving kindness or the hesed of God. It's the idea of God's commitment and his compassion for his people that moves him emotionally and moves him to act. 
I think it's especially true in the book of Jude, because Jude is a book that is full of Old Testament allusions. Jude was very familiar with the Old Testament. He's writing to an audience that is very familiar with the Old Testament. And so when, when Jude talks about the mercy of God, I think he's talking about the hesed, the loving kindness of God, his commitment that moves him to act on our behalf. Um, now, many times when this word is used in the New Testament as mercy, it takes that meaning, but it applies it in a temporal sense. It applies it as an alleviation of suffering that is, that is momentary. Uh, think about this in a passage like Luke chapter 18, verses 35 to 38. Luke 18, there are some blind men who are beside a road, and this is the scene that unfolds. It says, as Jesus drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And the blind man cried out, Jesus, son of David, have what? Have mercy on me. It's exactly what he says. Now, what the blind man is calling for there is he's saying, Jesus, be so committed to me. Jesus, be, be so uh, loving to me that you would not just notice me or hear me, but you would stop and acknowledge me and, and that you would use the, the power that you have to alleviate suffering in my life, that you would restore sight to my eyes. That was an expression of mercy, but it was, it was over one issue and it was temporary in the case of this blind man. But what we see in the book of Jude is, is not talking just about a, a temporary mercy. It's not talking about a, a temporary alleviation of something that is happening in our lives today, maybe a single issue, restoring sight to the blind or, or uh, the ability of a lame person to walk, whatever. Um, there is, it's not focused that narrowly. What we see here is that the mercy of God that we are to wait for is something that happens in the future. That's why we got to wait for it. If it was already here and already realized, we wouldn't have to wait for it, right? But there is something about the mercy of God that is future. There's going to be an expression of God's loving commitment to us and for us that will move him to act in a future way for us that will alleviate suffering, and not just in a temporary way and not just in a single-issue kind of way, but it will happen in a holistic way, providing relief to our lives. You know, in, in two of the testimonies that were shared earlier, I mean, it's interesting how God works all of this together, uh, but in two of the testimonies that were shared earlier in baptism, they referenced the book of Revelation in chapter 21. And, you know, I think Revelation 21 is a great picture of the future mercy of God, the thing that we're to be waiting for. Look at what it says in Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4. Uh, the apostle John is looking at this future picture of the earth, the new heaven, the new earth, and this is what he says. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You know, the Bible has a word 
that it uses to describe the loving commitment of God that is so great towards us that he would recreate the planet to create an environment suitable for you and I to live with him forever. And that word is mercy. The loving kindness of God. And Jude writes his letter, and he instructs us to to spend our lives waiting for this mercy that is to come. That our lives are marked by difficulty and pain and struggle, but there comes a time in the future when those things will be no more. When God will create this environment for us to live in him as the full expression of his mercy. And we are to wait, we are to, to orient our lives with a sense of hope and anticipation and wonder at this future gift that is coming. You know, it's interesting, when, when Jesus was having his last supper with his disciples, I think that uh, he knew that there was going to be a gap in time between when he shared that last supper with them and when this full expression of his future mercy would, would fully be realized on the earth. And so as he shared that last supper, Jesus actually set up a symbol for his disciples and his followers after them to to partake of as a reminder that future mercy is coming because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And he did that through the cup and the bread of communion. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 14. It says, when the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles were with him. And Jesus said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. See, Jesus, as he institutes these symbols, says, You know what? We're going to have this meal, and this meal will remind us of the great dinner, the great banquet that we are going to be able to celebrate one day when my kingdom is fully set up and fully realized. The elements of the bread and the juice are almost hors d'oeuvres of the great wedding feast that Jesus has prepared when we will be united with him forever. And as we partake of this meal, we are looking forward to a future mercy that God has given to us. And that is something that we can wait for with great hope and joy and anticipation. Now, I want to take you back to where we began. We're driving down the highway, headed towards the magic kingdom. Crying boy in the back seat. I've irritated everyone in my family. We finally stop at Publix, which is a grocery store chain out there, and uh, we decide that we're going to tell our son where we are. And uh, this is what that looked like. Hey, Josh, where are we right now? We are at Publix, the grocery store. <laughs> Publix, the grocery store. And, and where, where is Publix, the grocery store? It is in uh, 
Florida. It's in Florida, yeah. Well, here's what you don't know, son. We are actually going to a special place for the next four days, Mommy and me and you. It's called Walt Disney World. You know who lives there? No. Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and Lightning McQueen and Goofy and Peter Pan and all those guys. <laughs> We're going to their place. Today? Today. <laughs> Wait, no. After we go to the grocery store. <laughs> Okay. Well, hey, let's let's go. <laughs> you know, um, thank you. I think somebody mentioned the first service that may have been like abusive. Whether well, we uh, didn't tell them until that point, but no, uh, you know, the reason why I show that video is not just so you guys can watch my home movies. Um, I I show that video because because of this. Because this idea, um, there's a wonder in Josh's eyes at that moment. He had lost sight of where he was headed. He didn't know. And he was upset in the back seat. But as soon as it was clarified of the future destination, suddenly even going to the grocery store sounded a little bit fun. Um, and you know what? The same is true for us. There is a future mercy that we should not lose sight of. There's a future mercy of God towards us that we should never lose the wonder of. And we're going to celebrate that uh, today as a, as, a, as a remembrance as we take communion together. In just a moment, the, the team's going to come forward. They're going to begin to pass so they can go ahead and begin moving now. Um, the band is going to play for us a song, and, and as, it, as it plays and as the elements are passed, um, just take of the elements. If you've trusted in Christ, take those elements and, and sit and reflect on the wonder of the mercy of our God. And then at an appropriate time, I'll come back and pull us all back together that we might partake of the meal.